This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount offer code exclusively for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Hello, Enterprise. Goodbye, Discovery. And oops, never mind. Hello, Discovery again. Episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery set in motion the final confrontation with Control, along with some realizations that sacrifice would be unavoidable. We welcome back some familiar faces and a very familiar starship, and prepared to say goodbye to some very special characters. Get the Kleenex ready, folks, because watching part one of the finale was such sweet sorrow. Welcome aboard, everyone. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It seems that all season long we've been put through an emotional roller coaster when it comes to the crew of the USS Discovery, and I wasn't sure that after last week if there was much more that could be done to pull on my heartstrings, and I was wrong. I was way wrong, and I could not be happier for that incorrect assumption. This episode was perfectly named on so many levels. As always, this is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, entitled Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 1. The crew prepares for a final battle with Section 31's control, the Enterprise looks gorgeous, and Michael has visions of a future that does not look good, so she comes up with a new plan to prevent the sphere data from getting into control's hands, or cyber hands. There's so much to talk about and so many questions about how things will wrap up next week that I need to bring in my trusted podcast partner to help me keep me on point. You know, if he had visions of the future that showed me being phasered down by Leland Bot 3000, well, he'd just smile, sit back, and do nothing. But I still love him, and well, to be honest, I can't do the show without him. He is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill... We only have one week to go, buddy, and i got to be honest, it makes me sad, especially with what we were seeing in this week's episode. Hey, buddy, thanks for the thanks for the introduction. That's greatly appreciated. Um, I agree. I mean, this season has been a wild ride, and it's hard to believe there's only one episode left. Although, should we still call him the Leland Bot 3000, or should we now just call him the Terminator? Because based on that one sequence, he was just, he was just doing damage right and left. What do you think? Pew 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 pew. <laughs> lots of lots of phaser fire. It was it was it was a, a flash forward that was a little scary, and and I know that we're going to get into that detail in a little bit. You know, with only one week left, we feel that it was really time to bring in some big guns to help us with uh, with the discussions on the episode of, of Star Trek Discovery this week. So I think you brought in a big gun for today. So who do, why don't you tell everybody who we have? It's amazing. You set me up for that without doing an Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonation after I dropped the Terminator reference. I'm really proud of you. I do my best. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Dan, we met our guest uh, this past fall when he and his daughter both attended Northeast TrekCon in Albany, New York. And since then, they have lost a podcast of their own called Legacy Trek. He's also one of the producers of this here podcast, for which we are grateful. He's Mike Bovia, and he joins us now for his first appearance on Discovering Trek. Mike, welcome to the show, man. We are so psyched to have you here. Well, you know, they say sun's out, guns out. So, that's <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure if uh, this was my my call to the big time or if this just means that I'm done for. 
<laughs> it could go either way with us. You know, you never well, know. At least it's not Trek Geek, so I'll go with the former. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Mike, it's uh, it's great to have you here. As as Bill mentioned uh, in his intro, we we met you and, and your wonderful daughter uh, at Northeast TrekCon this past October. You have now become a podcaster yourself uh, with Emily. You guys are doing a fantastic job, and we're we're really thrilled to have you here to talk about this uh, penultimate episode for Season 2. It's going to be cool. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm pretty sad that we're just about done with the season and uh, we're going to have a best of both worlds type wait until next year. Uh, but at least we've got Picard coming up at the end of the year. Uh, what do we got? Four short treks in the middle of the year. So there's stuff coming down the pike. There's always, always good things. And speaking of good things, uh, Bill, we've got a lot to talk about, and we want to hear from our good friends and listeners about their thoughts uh, on this week's episode. So how can they get in touch with us for their opinions on Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 1? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Well, on the Twitters, you can find us at Discovering Trek, and on my face place space, when it's up, actually, you can catch up to us at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can become part of the discussion, leave us comments, questions, or tell us how you think Season 2 is going to end next week. Plus, you can also send us a voicemail by going to our website at TrekGeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button on the right-hand side. Please do remember, though, that any comments you may leave us could be used in a future episode of Discovering Trek. Dan. Thank you, Bill. Black alert. Black alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched Season 2, Episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access or wherever you watch Discovery. Watch the latest episode and then head back on over to Discovering Trek. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details for Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 1. Trainees, to the briefing room. Well, gentlemen, as we gather in the briefing room, as we usually do to begin the episode, we want to uh, get a thumbs up or a thumbs down and some high-level thoughts on what we saw this week on Star Trek Discovery. And Mike, as our special guest this week, we're going to start with you, man. I've enjoyed the season overall. I got to give this one a thumbs up. Um, Even if it was based solely on seeing the Enterprise, uh, the bridge. I've been waiting for this since Will You Take My Hand uh, last year. So, uh, yeah, I got to give it a thumbs up. Okay, let's uh, let's move on to Bill. Uh, Bill, what do you have? We've been uh, 12 for 12 so far, man. So let's see what you got. Well, buddy, the streak for me is going to stop at 12 in a row. Um, I'm going to go thumbs down on this one, but just barely. It's not that I don't like the episode. Um, just this this season or this episode felt a lot like a filler episode to me. This season was extended by one episode on purpose, presumably to make the budget work. And that's exactly what this episode seemed like to me. There are some great moments in Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1, but it's just not at the same level for me as the rest of the season. Um, and, and filler is really the only thing I keep referring to it as, um, it's just, um, there are some, I love the enterprise. I love some of the character beats, uh, especially when they say goodbye to Pike, but it just overall for me, this episode was a a bit of a letdown. 
All right. That's uh that's a little surprising for me, but hey, that's that's why we're here to talk about what we like and what we didn't like. For me, I did give it a thumbs up up. A thumbs up up? Uh, a big <laughs> thumbs up. I am 13 for 13 for the season so far. Uh, I thought the episode was really well done. I was I was literally tearing up for a vast majority of the episode from the sheer joy of seeing the Enterprise and all her beauty to the touching and emotional scenes with so many members of the crew, some of which we haven't had a lot of time with. Uh, so it really pulled on my heartstrings. And uh, we've had that theme all season long, strong bonds, family, sacrifice. And for me, it didn't let up in this episode. So as it as it was uh, filler, as you said, I can I can see where you're coming from there. I still thought that the episode was was very well done. So uh, so I, too, gave it a thumbs up like Mike. Like Mike. There we go. So um, let's get right into the discussion, guys. Of course, what everybody has been talking about all since uh, the episode was released um, on Thursday in the United States is, of course, the return of the USS Enterprise and an amazing return it was. So let's talk about the ship first. I loved seeing it with the barrel roll of the discovery at the very beginning. I'm not exactly sure why the barrel roll was being done. Maybe Detmer just wanted to show off for navigation skills a little bit, but it, it really looked good. The exterior was gorgeous. The interior, Mike, we'll start with you because you brought it up a minute ago, that bridge. I think that's something that people are going to be talking about for a long time. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, absolutely. Uh, you know, everything from the dedication plate, saying that it's starship class to the multicolored screens at the stations that bring us back to the 60s um you know going off the bridge a little bit the handle on the turbo lift i mean the attention to detail that was put into this i mean even the chairs at uh the helm nav console going back I can't say enough about the detail that was put into this. And then we find out after the episode is over that they consulted with James Cawley to get the jelly bean buttons. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much, how much more detail can we ask them to put into something like this? It was, it was beautiful. And, and Bill, I saw you uh, retweet the um, whole um, issue in regards to the Star Trek tour in New York. Uh, talk about that a little bit. And that, that really is, like Mike said, attention to detail. They brought stuff back literally from stuff that they used or looked like they used in the 60s. And it, it melded perfectly, I thought, with the technology for today. Well, I, like Mike brought up, I think it's fantastic that James Colley sent them hundreds of those molded jelly buttons that are used in uh, the same style of his recreation of the bridge in upstate New York and Ticonderoga at the uh, officially licensed Star Trek set tour. Um, it, it's just it it says to me that they they wanted to create a love letter to the original series by creating the set. They could have gone green screen. In fact, um, there's an article out there that says they they thought about going green screen for most of the set, but decided to build the whole thing. And I, it just, it, I'm glad they did because it looks 10 times better than it would have as, as a CGI set. And just the love is there, you know, every little detail harkens back to the original series and it's just gorgeous. Even the interior corridors, you know, with that sort of plastic mesh that, you know, is at the, the various entryways, it's just, it, it, they hit a lot of the little details that, uh, especially the, uh, the lighting over the, the turbo lift alcove on the bridge. You know, that causes the shadows. It's fantastic. 
it was fantastic. Um, the Star Trek uh, site put up a behind-the-scenes video, uh, I believe, yesterday in regards to the Enterprise Bridge with a with a really great discussion with Rebecca Romaine, who, of course, plays number one, talking about how she never really had the opportunity until at the very end to, to stand up and stand at the view screen and look at the set to take it all in. As a fan who watched the show when she was a kid, it really meant a lot to her. And the, the, the amount of detail and love that was put into the building of the set is seen throughout. People have been talking about how this is the type of bridge that people or that J.J. Abrams should have created for the Kelvin Timeline movies. Um, and I know that that J.J. had some points of the bridge that I really liked, but this one... This one is everything I've wanted to see in a modern Star Trek Enterprise bridge of the original Enterprise. It was beautiful. The sounds were there. All of the all of the um, mixtures of the different sounds that we've seen uh, or heard, I should say, all through season one or season two were really amplified when we were on the Enterprise uh, bridge. The other thing that I liked is Rebecca made it very clear that hollow emitters were not going to be used ever again (laughs) (laughs) on the Enterprise. So another question answered there. I thought it was really great. And the other thing that I liked about this is, of course, we expected to see it was we saw the uniforms again. We talked uh, way back in episode one about how we liked the um, TOS looking uh, uniforms on Pike and, and on some of the crew. And we got to see them all over the place. Uh, on the Enterprise, of course, as we would expect. And we also saw some interesting new-looking aliens, didn't we, Mike? There were a couple on the bridge there that I'd like to get a little bit more information about. Yeah, I'd like to know what they were all about. Uh, I can't even put a finger on what they're looking like. Yeah. Uh, But very good design. Uh, Harkens me back to the days of Mike Westmore, except, you know, now we've got the new team involved on it. Uh, the other thing uh, that I was uh, looking at was uh, that same video that you were talking about with Rebecca Romaine. Uh, Anthony Rapp made the point that he thought it was uh, beautifully modernized, yet a respectful iteration. Yes. So, you know, all of that put together, the respect shown, but really updating it so that it's more 21st century for all of us. Right. Um, one more thing that I wanted to point out, Bill, I'm, I, and I didn't actually notice this the first time I watched. I saw it more in the in the video that Mike was just referring to is uh, at number one station and the main uh, helm navigation console was that little thing on an arm that, that uh, Sulu used to look in all the time. Um, I noticed that during the video that they even had a new look to that particular piece of equipment and it was just something else that made me smile oh agree they also built a uh, an eye scanner over on spock station too according to one of the articles um i i, I hope we get to see more of that maybe in the next episode or maybe in the future wink wink nudge nudge come on cbs yeah, we might talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, so of course, the Enterprise is gorgeous. And as the crew of the Discovery is making its way over to the Enterprise with that cool little erector set escape hallway thing through space over to the Enterprise, uh, they're all on the bridge and they're ready to uh, destroy the ship that they love so much and doesn't work. Hmm. Surprise. Um, but then... <laughs> Burnham has a vision of the future because she was silly enough to actually grab that time crystal before she went over to the Enterprise. And I got to say, we alluded to it a little while ago, Bill. That scene was a little terrifying with a, an emotionless Leland Bot 3000 coming in and just phasering down everybody uh, on the bridge of Discovery. Um, and 
some of the actors who portrayed these death scenes really did a great job and just kind of like sliding down panels and, and, uh, that uh, that was an interesting scene, like we've talked about with the CBS All Access. We get to see more real life violence, and um, even though it's phaser fire, it looked uh, it was pretty ominous. What do you think, Bill? It absolutely was. It it, it did kind of strike me like the Terminator in a sense, you know, where he was he, he's on he's got one mission, you know, and it's not to to kill John Connor, it's to get the sphere data, and he's going to mow down anything in his path. And I you know, kudos to Alan Van Sprang. I mean, that was portrayed, you know, perfectly for that scene and what it called for just that sort of, you know, machine like, you know, resolution to accomplish the task. Um, I also thought it was interesting that when Reno touched the crystal, it was very much the same vision with the exception of the Leland bot 3000. So I, I did find that really interesting. It didn't necessarily show them each their own destiny like it did with Pike or maybe it did. We don't know. Oh, oh, see, now you got me. Uh, now I'm going to have to change my long range scan. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, um, as I, I joked about a minute ago, one of my long range scans for last week was the fact that the sphere data was not going to want to be destroyed. So it was going to do something to screw up the plans of destroying the discovery. And oh, look at that. It happened. Um, so that means I actually get a long range scan, right? Um, which I'm very <laughs> happy about because that never really happens. But um so as as uh, Burnham has this vision of the future and and she kind of just like yells out wait, which was interesting. And then she recovered very nicely by, you know, saying sir or however she put it. She decides that she needs to come up with another plan. And uh, that plan, of course, is to send the ship into the future. Oh, 950 to 1000 years, which is very convenient sounding from things that we've seen off season and during the season. But uh, what'd you think um, that whole sequence that Bill and I just talked about with Leland and then the new plan and then putting that plan into action. It's pretty much the crux of the episode. So um, what do you think is going to, what do you think happened with that? And what do you think is going to happen with that? But not to get a long range scan out of you or anything. Well, first of all, I called them going to the future a couple weeks ago on our podcast. So uh, I'll, I'll put my finger in the air and take that one. Uh, but First of all, uh, that sequence, like you said, uh, horrifying, uh, but at the same time, you know, that's not going to be the fate of everybody. Uh, Emily was watching it and she goes, Oh, I can't believe everyone's dying. And I said, you gotta look forward. Uh, that's not going to happen. That's just a possible future, but really well done. And then. Uh, the sequence where they're coming up with what to do. Well, first of all, got to give some more props to production. The tri screen in the middle of the conference table. That's, awesome. Yes, very awesome. Uh, but the exchange uh, between everyone and uh, Giorgio saying, you know, why don't we just send an antimatter missile into a star? And Saru's reaction to that. But you know, she's so close to this situation. She's got so much angst and disdain for Leland at this point. She wants to do whatever it takes to get rid of him. And so uh, I like the line, I thought there were no bad ideas. Nope, that's a lie. That's a bad idea. <laughs> uh, for the last few weeks, Bill, we've actually had uh, scenes where the staff is is surrounded 
uh, around a conference table looking at at those beautiful screens that Mike mentioned. And that seems to have been a theme lately uh, with that getting everyone together to get opinions and decide what to do, sort of like they used to do on TNG a lot when they would go into the conference room. Um, but uh, I, I like how they're doing that. I do appreciate what Georgia brings to the table. She brings that bit of humor, but she's not trying to be funny. You know, who cares if only, uh, you know, a couple planets worth of people get killed. It's not the whole galaxy, right? That's a, that's doable from a mirror universe standpoint, right, Bill? Well, they're trying to save all sentient life. I mean, duh, yeah. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, needs of the many. That's right. The needs yeah. of the many, which uh, right. according to Dan has been a theme all season long. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think that it's even at TOS, they would use the briefing room for moments like that. You know, I think of the infamous risk is our business. Um, Very nice. Uh, soliloquy that Kirk gives. And, you know, it's I think it's a nice way to introduce a, a classic hallmark of of Star Trek in pretty much all its iterations. You know, the captains always get the band together to talk about the situation at hand and to, to get everybody's best ideas. And I don't think uh, Captain Pike would be any different in that regard. Yeah, I have to agree. It, it, it's good to see. I like I like how it has been done. And each of the times that we've seen it through the season, but I really did like this week's as well. So, Bill, while we're on the visions of the future, I do want to bring up a congratulations to both you and I. And that is that last week we had some long-range scans that, uh, at least from what we can tell so far, have have pretty much been right on point. So, yeah, yeah that's right. Put that big smile. He's got a big smile on his face, folks. Um, yeah, we're going to talk more about long-range scans later and what we think are going to happen, but I like seeing it feels good to have a long range scan finally come true after two seasons. So I know that you've had it before me. So, you know what it feels like. Well, I've now got multiple long range scans come true. And someday you'll aspire to my level of greatness, Grasshopper. I could (laughs) I could never (laughs) even think to reach your level, Bill. So so true in so many ways. Yeah. So as alluded to um, prior to the episode uh, going live last week with some screenshots and a couple of videos, we had a reintroduction of a character that we saw uh, over the off season. Of course, um, the short treks came out last uh, last fall and the first one uh, runaway. Uh, introduced a new character, um, Tilly Met, who was a stowaway on board Discovery. And all season long, we've been like, okay, so this really had nothing to do with Discovery. It was just a short trek to maybe build the character of Tilly. Nope, wrong. Pose back. Um, <laughs> I, I, I got to say, when we did the discussion on the short trek, Bill, uh, we weren't super awesomely in love with the short trek or the story. Um, or the character of Poe, actually. She's kind of feral in the beginning, and then all of a sudden she's the queen of a planet, and and she's a brilliant engineer. But I got to tell you, I loved her in this episode. I thought she was funny. I thought she brought a lot to the story. And based on what she does, I got to wonder if she's going to be a crew member next season. What do you think, Bill? I don't think that'll be the case. I think that uh, uh, I don't think Discovery is is going to be trapped 950 years in the future like a lot of people do. I think I think that it's coming back either next episode or season three, episode one. So uh, I, I think Poe will be a temporary um, um, resident of the Discovery, very temporary. But I have to agree with you with regard to how the character was written in this episode. Uh, in Runaway, I, I have to agree that the character was not written well at all. And in fact, it probably was one of the the least cohesive of the short treks that came out over the summer uh, because they couldn't decide which Poe they wanted in the short trek. We fast forward to Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1, and this Poe is a fully realized character that, you know, they, they play off her strengths. She's an engineer. She's amazingly smart. 
And, you know, she is a, a strong woman in every sense of the word. And I think that that was the best possible way to portray this character this week. Um, you know, she, especially in the scene with Giorgio, you know, where she essentially outlawed snarkiness, which I thought was fantastic. Um, it's, it was a night, it was nice to see this character treated the way it should have been for the entire short trek personally. Yeah, I agree. Um, Mike, Bill just alluded to it for a moment. Um, I don't think that they're going to be trapped in the future either, but I do think that Poe has the possibility of coming back as a regular crew member. She's a, she's an engineer. She, she talked to Tilly about giving up being on her planet because the planet was just a sister. So I think it has the possibility next season that she is a regular on the show and is the new chief engineer on discovery. That's where I'm kind of going with that. You agree with that? You think it's a little bit different. And what did you actually think about the Poe character? I love the fact that she loves ice cream. I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah. Because she picked a better flavor than Spumoni. Right? Really? <laughs> oh no, yes. Ugh. Heavenly hash. <laughs> mint chocolate chip for crying out loud. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really? Uh, no, you know, when you were going through that, I was thinking, man, we've never seen a chief engineer. Maybe this could be it. But I, I don't know about her being a permanent fixture. Uh, I, I'd have to see a little bit more of it. But I like how they brought out the fact that uh, her and Tilly have been in constant communication since the short trek. Uh, it, it can't it can't just be the one time thing. Uh, they've actually been talking back and forth. They know too much about each other at this point to have not had that communication. Uh, and then her uh, her writing on the air, coming up with the equations with her spoon, uh, that was a good touch because uh, that's really the thing that you see out of that genius level thinking. Uh, someone who's kind of unattached to reality sometimes and they're just doing stuff uh in the air uh, but also still showing that she's attached to reality by cutting the jibe at Giorgio about snarkiness uh showing that she does have that queen level air of authority about her but she's still light-hearted at the same time yeah being only 17 years old if i remember correctly still a kid still has fun uh, getting under people's skin. I did like the I I did like the fact that as we see so much when it comes to engineering issues uh, on any Star Trek show, there was quite a lot of techno babble thrown in there. Um, and at this point, I just agree with everything that they say because I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm not genius. I don't write in the air like I see Bill doing from time to time. So you're lucky if you can write on paper. Let's be honest. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. I didn't want to tell anybody that I really don't know how to do that yet. But thanks, man. Um, no, I. I I'd like to see more of the see, – see, when I first saw Poe in Short Treks, I didn't care if we ever saw her again. Now I'm intrigued. Now I want to see more. Now I want to learn more about her past. I want to learn more about her planet, which, by the way, looked gorgeous with that whatever swirl around it at the top of the planet I thought was really nice. Another great uh, uh, special effect by by the, the uh, production staff over at uh, Discovery. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next week with her and if we see her going forward. So um, they've pulled all of the short treks into this storyline almost. Um, 
We have talked about whether or not Calypso is going to have anything to do with it. Uh, so I would not be surprised next week if somehow Harry Mudd shows up to save the day. Basically. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> so just uh, sipping jippers on a beach. Jippers on go. a beach? Jippers on a beach. Yes, absolutely. Um, so as we go through the episode a little bit more, we, we discover that or we find out that Burnham's plan is going to be to for her to wear a new red angel suit to go to the future. And it's a one way trip because of the time crystals energy. So she's going to be left behind in the future. I don't know if that makes any sense, but you know what I mean? Um, We see the main crew bridge crew, uh, you know, kind of circle around her and say, no, we're going with you. So there's some very touching moments in this episode that we see, including that time where the entire crew says we're going with you. But then we see all of the crew writing messages or or videoing messages to loved ones. And I got to say that those scenes were what really pulled me into this episode. There wasn't a lot of action in those scenes, of course. They're just talking into a, into a device. But it really gave the characters some depth that we have not seen. I know that some people are probably going to be saying, well, you know, with Arium, we didn't really get to know Arium until right before she died. And this is the same thing because these people are all going off to be stranded in the future. And now we're getting to know them a little better. I don't really look at it that way. And I didn't look at it that way with Arium either. I thought there were touching moments that let us as the viewer see what these people are like when they're not just at the bridge punching commands into a console. So, um, Mike, what did you think about those? I know that, uh, and I don't disagree with you, Bill. This is kind of a filler episode to bring us to the big conclusion to the the two-parter next week. But I thought that they were very touching and gave us insight into the characters that we haven't seen before. Mike, what do you think? I personally love character-building stories. Uh, I always have. Uh, We were just talking about Enterprise the other night, and, you know, Shuttle Pod 1 is a big episode that people like, but I like it for the character building aspect of it. You get to know more about Malcolm. Well, in this case, as they're writing these letters home to their family, even if it's just a small detail, you're learning a little bit more about each of these uh, members of the crew that we haven't learned before. Uh, It was just a good touch. And even before that, I thought it was a good touch, uh, the eyes up for Michael when she's on the bridge telling everybody what her plan is. It was some more of a character building aspect for Michael and for the rest of that crew as you see them pretty much expressing their love for her, even if it's only in facial expressions, uh, showing uh, the building that she's had since season one being a hated aspect of this crew in episode three, uh, progressing forward. And now they don't want her to sacrifice just herself to help all of them. But that aspect, the character building side is really what I latched onto. Yeah, I I have to agree with you there, Bill. What about you? Um, One of the things that I liked um, in this episode was what we saw and her reaction to, having to say goodbye to Ash. Ash has decided that he is not going to be one of the people that's going to go into the future with the ship because he needs to do things with section 31. Huh? Is he going to be on the new show? I guess we'll find out. But um, I thought that was great. And of course I got to say that I love the reaction. She's just like, okay, 
by, turns around and walks four feet, turns around, and then as the as the romantic moment of the episode, they embrace and this and that. I thought that was really well done as well. What did you think about that and the other aspects of the touching scenes of the episode? That scene to me was akin to the I love you, I know between Leia and Han in uh, <laughs> at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, no, that was a fantastic scene. I, I don't disagree with anything that either of you has said. Um, however, I felt like we were saying goodbye to people this entire episode. At one point, Sarek and Amanda show up, and I still don't quite know how that happened because um, we're supposed to be in the middle of somewhere, and they just figured out where we were, and they got there no problem. So uh, were they aboard the Enterprise? Did they bring their own Vulcan ship? Um, did, did they bother to go? Did Amanda bother to go say hi to Spock because we know Sarek wasn't going to? Um, I think there was just a lot of unanswered questions. Um, plus, I mean, I think they could have condensed a lot of that into much smaller scenes. I think that's why it felt like filler to me is because as much great one-on-one character stuff as there was, a lot of it didn't propel the plot line forward for me. Um, so uh, that, that's really my, my greatest criticism of the episode is that, you know, each episode this season has propelled the story more and more and more by larger and larger chunks. And this one definitely felt like a bit of a step back. Um, maybe a giant step back to take two steps forward. I don't know, but on the whole, just evaluating this as its own episode, that's kind of why I had the the issue with it because it just, it doesn't go anywhere. Okay. I can, I can appreciate that. Were you surprised and Bill, I'm going to stay with you for a second. Were you surprised that Spock was one of the ones that decided that he was going to go into the future? Now I'm going to say also that of course we know that that's not going to happen at least for him or he's going to get back or they're all going to get back. We don't know. We'll find out later. But I was surprised that that was there because we know it's not going to it's not going to be something that's going to be uh, take place for very long. Uh, I'm not surprised because uh, I don't think he's going to make it there, even if the rest of them do, because the needs of the many are going to outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Mm-hmm. I think something's going to have to happen where Spock has to be the person that doesn't go with them and winds up back on the Enterprise for some reason. OK, Mike, do you agree? Yeah, we were talking about this when we watched it. I said the same thing. There's no way that he's going forward with them. And I think it's going to have something to do with him, well, going a little bit forward into the preview for next week, him being in the shuttlecraft behind Michael, kind of clearing the path. Something's going to happen that's going to keep him here. It'll be interesting to see, of course, uh, what we've all been waiting for is to see him beardless and in that blue tunic. So, you know, he's only got one more week left to do it. Not that we haven't seen it or anything. Um, But uh, moving along, um, as we continue uh, to see things occur in the show, uh, Bill, I wanted to to bring one thing up with you. I I do agree with you on the on a little bit of a plot hole with Sarek and Amanda showing up. I've seen some speculation online that, you know, Vulcan might be closer to where the Enterprise and Discovery were. So they were able to get a head start because of of um, Sarek's Katra connection with Michael. Um, They did leave in in some kind of a a shuttle or Vulcan spacecraft of some kind. So um, so they got there somehow. So they obviously left the same way. I thought that was a little interesting. And it was another touching moment with um, Michael kind of having her hand on the glass, looking at them leave, thinking that she'll never see them again. Um, I also wanted to point out, and then I'll get your comment on it, Bill. I did love the continuity because this is a question that I've had. Sarek is showing up on the Enterprise at more than one time this season, and he made it clear in this episode that he is keeping his distance from Spock because that's what Spock wished for. Great continuity for what we saw in Journey to Babel. So what did you think about that? 
Oh, I agree with you 100%. Um, could they have accomplished that same thing on a view screen or with a hollow communication? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, was it necessary to bring them to that spot? No, it did add some great drama. It did allow for a great scene between um, Sinequa and James Frain. And um, uh, my word, my her name escapes me right now. I apologize so much. Uh, the actress playing Amanda. Um, Mia Kirshner. Thank you, Mia Kirshner. Um, you know, it, it allowed for a great scene between those three actors that you know was acted exceedingly well. I just think that it was it was more of you know um, I, I think we could have accomplished it through other means. As much as I like the scene, um, even though I thought the episode was on the weaker side. Okay, uh, a couple other things. Uh, in, as we're in the briefing room and wrapping things up here, uh, I loved the goodbye, so to speak, wink, wink quote, air quotes, uh, between Pike and Giorgio. It it surprised me, right as he's beaming out with Ash, how he, she admits that she is the empress from the Terran Empire, and he just gives a, what's a mirror universe, with a wink. Has he known all along? Was he briefed beforehand, so he was just playing? What did Michael finally tell him, and we didn't see it on the screen? All of those questions uh, flash into my mind when that happened, and I thought it was a great pike moment because you actually saw a look of surprise on Giorgio's face which is something we are not used to seeing mike what do you think yeah it always seems like pike knows a little bit more than we realize and i think it goes back to what cornwell said uh when he was asking her if uh he was kept out of the war because of some of the decisions that they were making and she said no you were kept out because we wanted to make sure the best was still around to represent us if everything was gone. So I think that he's afforded a little bit more uh, information than the typical Starfleet captain would be. You know, we know after events, he's going to become a fleet captain, which we saw last week in the flashbacks, or like we said, flash forward. Uh, So I think he does know some things that not everyone else is going to know, but he keeps it close to the vest so that he's just not walking around spilling the beans to everybody. Bill, what did you think about that same scene uh, as Tyler and Pike were beaming out? He asked the captain if you trust him still. And he's going to do something. Do you think that's going to be next week? Or do you think it's kind of an allusion to the Section 31 series and cleaning up the mess and making them an underground rogue division uh, that answers to no one? I think it's probably an allusion to Season 3 of Discovery before it's an allusion to the Section 31 series. I think that Section 31 series may see the benefit of what comes after this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that we've got a. If if the the rumors are right and we don't see Section Thirty One until late twenty twenty, um, then there's a lot that has to happen between then and now. I, I think they will become essentially a Black Ops um, outfit, you know, kind of like uh, Mission Impossible in a way. But uh, I, in fact, I've I've said many times I think this that series is going to wind up being Mission Impossible in space to some extent, which I'd be okay with. But I think Section Thirty One will be officially disbanded, and they essentially will be the um, the <laughs> the unknown, unspoken of uh, division of Starfleet that still refers to themselves as Section Thirty One. So, excellent. Uh, 
So, okay, last question uh, in regards to uh, this week's episode. As we saw, a very cool rendering, I might add, of Discovery and Enterprise literally being surrounded by different Section 31 ships. I found it interesting that they were differently shaped ships because when we've seen them before, they've pretty much all been the same kind of looking ship. So they're surrounded. It looks like everything's the ship is about to hit the fan, as I believe number one said. Um, what do we think is do we think we're going to see Klingons show up next week to help save the day? Because we saw Laurel last week and it wasn't really a, in my mind, a final seeing of her for the season. Um, we saw the D7 last week. Do we think that something's going to happen to help turn the tides as to what's going on with this upcoming battle in Section 31 with the Klingons? Mike? I saw that bandied about online this weekend, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. We've only seen Laurel in two episodes this year, uh, and Mary Chifo is too good of an actor to keep off the screen that long. So I think it, in some way she needs to be there, but I don't know if we'll get a whole fleet I don't know. Um, I'm very unsure on that, but I think it's a great idea if it happens. Bill? Well, I didn't, but I do now. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I'm here. That is why I'm here. Get those cog wheels rolling because there's a lot of rust in there. I'm I'm amazed you didn't save that for long range or short range, long range scan. But um, I think that that's a, a fantastic idea. That could very well be what Tyler has brewing because he has that direct line to the chancellor. Um, uh, that's a great idea, buddy. And I actually think that would add a, a really interesting uh, dimension to the relationship between the Federation and the Klingon empire, especially in the post-war years. You know, it's interesting. You say, why well, didn't bring it up along the scan as I was getting ready for this episode and going through all of the outline and everything, this whole episode that we are here today talking about with the, with what happened with part one everything could be a long range scan for what happens next week since it's yeah. a two parter and, and our long range scan would have been 40 minutes long if we decided to do that way. So I like to throw things in cause I tend to babble a little bit. You? No, no, <laughs> no, I, I never would have guessed that in my lifetime. Well, uh, we have reached the moment of discovering Trek where we take a moment to pause and reflect on those we have lost in this week's episode of star Trek discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those that have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Um, Bill, we've had to have this discussion several times during the season. Come on. Really? Nothing? Again? Death. Blood, phaser fire. Well, we saw phaser fire in the future. That doesn't really count, though. But uh, we got nothing this week, do we? Well, you know, Dan, this week was kind of like an intermission in the red shirt roll call. No new entries. But on the eve of battle, you can bet that there's going to be a lot of names next week, man. I mean, we're clearing a lot of room on the list for such sweet sorrow part two because we expect lots of contenders for space. We can only hope, though, that our Starfleet heroes rule the day. Now, with Game of Thrones coming back this week, we tip our cap to Lord Eddard Stark of Winterfell from all the way back in Season 1. He tried to do the right thing, but he didn't exactly come out ahead in the game. Ahead. Get it? Really? Thank you. Thank you. Be here all week. So we raise a glass of something warm because, well, winter is here 
and this week's red shirt roll call. What a lovely tie-in. I got to raise a glass to you, man. That was pretty good, except for that head joke. That was just head. horrible. Get it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can be quiet now because we're going to raise a glass of synthahol as we don't say goodbye to anybody in this week's red shirt roll call. I'll drink synthahol for anything, really. Ahead. Oh, except for that. <laughs> Dan, this week's episode was, of course, brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. You know, we love to talk about their amazing line of pin products and collectibles because they truly are the best in the industry. When you place an order at Fansets.com, you truly can be confident that you're going to get the best products, the best prices, and hands down the best customer service around from any licensee of CBS products. Now, while Fansets is known for their amazing pins, they do have amazing accessories too, like the huge collector's case that Dan purchased at STLV last year. When I say huge, I am not kidding. It can hold hundreds of pins, but yet still be compact enough to carry to conventions so you can add even more pins to them, which is ideally what we hope you do. Also available are sturdy acrylic pin stands so you can display them on your desk or, you know, on shelves. And one of my favorites, the locking pin back. Now, with these handy pin backs, you can be sure that your pin is going to stay safely and securely on your shirt or your uniform or your cosplay outfit. I have several of them and I love them. So do yourself a favor. Head on over to their website. Put a bunch of pins and some pin accessories like maybe the locking pin backs into your shopping cart. And at checkout, be sure to enter this week's exclusive checkout code. Enterprise in all capital letters. I'm not even going to spell that one out for you because you know it so well. Use the code Enterprise in all caps and you're going to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com. Now, this code is going to be available to use until Sunday, April 21st, 2019 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Eastern Daylight Time. That's correct. You know, I got to admit, Bill, that that supersized collector's case was something I was very happy to get. It holds all of my Star Trek pins that I purchased so far. And with almost 200 Trek pins available, I'm going to need all that space to display them proudly as I continue to add to that collection. Also, as we did last week, we want to remind everyone in the Colorado area or anybody who wants to fly to the Colorado area that Starfest is coming up real soon. It's the weekend of April 26th through the 28th, and anyone attending should definitely stop by the folks, uh, the Fansets booth uh, and see the folks there and get your exclusive Starfest alien pin. It's gorgeous. It has both an adult alien ready to take a multi-jawed bite out of your wallet. And it's got a cute little chest burster, little cute little guy just coming out of one of the letters. Just <laughs> looks really good. Uh, they're very cute, chest bursters. I really like them. And as for Trek fans, or for Trek fans, I should say, Fansets has an amazing collector series, which will be debuting at STLV. It's the Women of Star Trek collector set, which will start out with nine amazing women in the Trek universe, plus a special commemorative Uhura pin exclusive for STLV. And then later throughout the year, additional pins to the collection will be released. And you, the fans, will have a say in which characters are forever represented by Fansets. We're going to be having polls on our Facebook pages and on Twitter asking you for your favorite female characters, and those votes will decide who we see as part of this amazing new collector's uh, set from Fansets. We'll be providing more detail in the coming months here on our off-season podcast of Discovering Trek and over at Trek Geeks, so stay tuned. Fansets, we are Star Trek, and as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human.
Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and here in this segment, we'll take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. And Mike, again, as special guest this week, we're going to start with you, sir. Well, I alluded to this earlier, but sometimes we can be so close to a situation that our thinking becomes imbalanced. Giorgio is so enraged with Leland and the AI that's controlling him that she's talking about blowing up entire star systems to complete the task at hand. Now, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with their Terran upbringing, but if we reflect back to last year, Admiral Cornwell was willing to commit genocide to end the war. Being too close to situations affects our thinking. I've only been podcasting myself for a few short months, but I've been listening to them for years. And of course, Star Trek was my listening choice. Shows that were begging for new content for years are now belittling and even outright bashing that new content. And I've found myself listening to fewer and fewer of their episodes because I can't stomach the change. To put together a show on a particular topic means deep diving and sometimes finding faults with the things you've always loved. But does that mean you need to outright criticize everything about it? Perhaps changing a fan's opinion or even worse, making them lose their Star Trek love? I'm not saying everything Star Trek is perfect. A lot of... Uh, older stuff does deserve some criticism, even to the highest level. Code of Honor, I'm talking to you. And Discovery has been trying to put a lot of content into not many episodes. So I won't discount that notion with Discovery either. But I think some people are so close now, that thought process is in their head so much that it's become their go-to and that seems to be all they can talk about. Giorgio was convinced eventually, but more than likely outranked in this uh, situation, that her idea wasn't going to fly by someone who was in her same shoes last season. But Cornwell was told to step back and look at the bigger picture. Podcasters need to step back and look at the bigger picture. We have a lot of new Star Trek coming down the pike, which means more content for us to talk about. Do we need our overwhelming message to be criticism? Or can we point out the many good things that are coming from this, such as new fans, more people to listen to you talk about what you love? It's okay to criticize. Just don't make that the overriding theme. Otherwise, you might as well send your own antimatter missile into the heart of the fandom. Well said, man. You know, this week I felt an entire gambit of emotion. From tears of joy in seeing the Enterprise and all her beautiful glory, to tears of sorrow listening to crew members send goodbye messages to loved ones. Speeches from the heart were the focal point of such sweet sorrow. Listening to Sarek, Amanda, and Michael then Michael and Ash, Michael and the crew, and then Pike and the crew. It went on and on. We've always heard Starfleet officers say, quote, it's been an honor serving with you, end quote. 
We've never heard one say to others, I love you all, which we heard this week. And that really stuck with me. This is the message that stayed with me all season on Discovery. That crew is a family. With everything that happened to Michael and others on the Shenzhou when the Klingon War took place, all those people still have bonded and become family. Sure, the other crews we've seen in Star Trek have had that family relationship, but none have expressed it like we've seen on Discovery, and not even Voyager, when Janeway would always say, we're a family. And I think that's one of the things I've loved most about this season. Life is all about family. It's about the bonds we make. Even when things look their bleakest, like with what Michael is facing, her family's right there to help and be part of whatever danger she's about to face. Bill? You know, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, there were a lot of goodbyes. And perhaps that sage observer of our time, Billy Joel, says it best when he said that life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. Probably one of the most poignant ones this week was Christopher Pike saying goodbye to the crew of the Starship Discovery before he made his way back to the USS Enterprise. He took a moment and went around to everybody on the bridge crew and thanked them. And it occurs to me that as we you know, steamroll toward the season finale next week, a whole lot of people on Star Trek Discovery have put in a whole lot of effort. And after next week, we kind of say goodbye to them again for another nine to ten months. So before we get caught up in next week's drama and perhaps a resolution or not of the storyline of Control and the Red Angel, I offer them my heartfelt thanks for a season of long, hard work, for engaging content, and for stories that speak to the heart of Star Trek. Because certainly without them, uh, we wouldn't be doing this. And we are all very grateful. Commendations, palm leaf of Axanar Peace Mission, Grand Kite Order of Tactics, Class of Excellence, Frenteris Ribbon of Commendation. Okay, gentlemen, it's time for some awards, Starfleet Commendations. Actually, you know what? Before we get started with Starfleet Commendations, I want to kind of have a brief briefing room A, because we forgot to discuss it, uh, or I forgot to discuss it during uh, our briefing room talk. And Bill, you just brought it up. That goodbye to Pike, or that goodbye from Pike to the crew, and then the goodbye to Pike was, I think, one of the best moments we've seen this season. It was so respectful for that entire crew to stand at attention for him. We saw his view over his shoulder of that entire crew standing in front of the view screen. It was awesome. It was well played out by everybody, especially Pike, and it makes me long to see him more and more. Mike, I'm I'm sure that you appreciated that just as much as Bill and I did. Oh, yeah. And we saw him paying respect to everybody, uh, starting back with um, when Saru was leaving the bridge, essentially he thought to die. And everybody stood to attention for Saru, led by Pike. And then he does it at the beginning of the episode for Discovery aboard the Enterprise. And then for Michael, when she's uh, telling everybody what the plan is. And now the entire crew paying that respect to him uh, came full circle, and it was very touching. Uh, He is a fantastic character. If we don't get to see more of him, it's going to be upsetting. So new series, TV movie, we're talking to you. We want to see this. You can't have built that Enterprise uh, set for nothing for two episodes, right? 
very well said. You just you just you just kind of gave away one of my long range scans, actually, Phil. Oh. Uh, I know you just talked about it a moment ago, but those are the things that we, you and I, talk about a lot when it's just when we're commuting or whatever. Is that that ability to really make a scene work, and it did with that Pike goodbye. You know, one of the things that I liked most about Pike's goodbye to the crew was that he started to call them out, almost like a, a bit of a curtain call before we get to the finale. You know, in, in the season premiere, we went around the bridge and they reintroduced themselves, the bridge crew. You know, that we don't often hear their names and we don't often get to see scenes with them contributing dialogue. And he took a moment to call many of them out by name again. Um, and it did strike me like a curtain call type moment. And they absolutely should take a bow because it's been a fantastic season. Absolutely. So, okay, let's get back on track because I went off the rails there for a few seconds. It is time for Starfleet Commendations, uh, who we picked to receive uh, the awards this week. I'll go ahead and start today. Uh, I'm going to first give a Starfleet Commendation to Jeff Russo. You know, the music for Discovery has always been fantastic. But you know what, Jeff? You took it up a notch this week with those classic callbacks to TOS fanfare when the Enterprise was on screen and we're P- and we when we saw people in the corridors. It was absolutely beautiful. And I got to admit that I've always felt that the TOS music during the opening credits of Discovery when Gene's name is on screen is a bit forced and kind of just thrown in there. But here in this episode, it was anything but. It was really, really nice. Uh, of course, as I think all of us will end up having or, or should have, and not just the three of us, every fan, the Enterprise. The set designers on this show have have been nothing short of amazing since day one. This Enterprise is absolutely gorgeous. There are so many callback aspects to the bridge we know from the 60s with enough of today's technology to make it awesome and to make it sexy. And the folks at CBS have to start a Pike series now. Like Mike just said, it would be sacrilege to not use that set after this season wraps up. So it's already built. You've already got part of your budget allocated to that set. So why not just start a new series? Get Anson Mount back in that uniform. Get Rebecca back in her uniform. And let's have some fun. We have 10 years of adventures before that J-Class starship. So do it. And also, I'm going to give a commendation to the cast. The whole cast. The moments on this episode where the crew stood together for various reasons. One, to show solidarity behind Michael and decide to go with her to the future. Two, the emotional speech that Burnham gave to the crew. As I said before, never in Star Trek have I heard an officer tell the rest of her crew that she loves them. And three, like we just talked about, the moment when Pike was about to leave the bridge and Michael called to him so the whole crew could stand at attention. It was just brilliant. It was beautiful. And all three of those examples brought tears to my eyes. Mike, what do you got? Well, I got to start first off uh, with Tamaril Deverall, uh, the production designer. Uh, we've talked at length about Enterprise and how great it looks. Uh, taking this ship into the 21st century for all of us, but still keeping some of those touches uh, that we've loved over the 53 years of the franchise. So uh, A plus for that. Uh, and again, talking to the Star Trek set tour and getting those jelly bean buttons. You know, we look at that and we say that's so 60s, but it's also so Enterprise. And having that melded in with the technology that we're used to today was just the perfect touch. Um, I'm going to agree with you on Jeff Russo. Uh, Great music. Uh, the whole time when they're on the Enterprise, it was hearkening back to the original series for me. And then finally, 
you guys have done this a lot this season. Anson Mount, Captain Pike. He continues to inspire as a leader uh, throughout, even as he's leaving Discovery and going over to uh, the Enterprise. He's making sure that people and the ships that are helping them out are getting their respect. Eyes up. You know, my first commendation this week goes out, also goes out to Jeff Russo. Those music cues this week were just outstanding, as always, both with the way it lovingly called out the original series and also in the way it ratcheted up the tension to the break in the two-parter. I thought it was really just perfect. So it was so very well done. My second one has to go to the character of number one. Um, you know, I, I love the dimension that Rebecca Romaine is adding to this character. Um, number one didn't get to do a whole lot in the cage, per se, but... Um, in this episode and, and in the ones before, we, we discover she's truly the consummate first officer, and I wish we could see more from this character. Again, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, CBS. And I'd also like to finally get her name, by the way. Lastly, and this is going to shock listeners of Discovering Trek, my final combination this week goes out to Tig Nataro. What? Finally, a version <laughs> of Reno that I can live with. Now, there was some snark. But there was not the abrasiveness and the attitude that we've seen in the past. I felt a lot like Stamets did shaking her en- hand at the end of that scene where he says, uh, I, I don't really like you. Uh, I don't really like her either. But I'm glad to see the character has become something more Starfleet-like here in the finale. Because before, she just was not. So hats off to Jet Reno and Tignataro. Hats off to you, man. That's amazing. Long-range scan of planet complete. Okay, so what's next for Discovery, people? We've got one episode left. We've only got one episode left. It's okay, buddy. It's okay. uh, Okay. You know, it's time to give our thoughts on what what we think is going to happen next week or next season because that's all we got left. And before we get into that, uh, guys, Bill, I got to say – like I said earlier, we pretty much hit it on the head last week with our scans. Yours was that we're going to see the end of Section 31 as we know it. And I think Ash staying behind to deal with Section 31 and clean up the mess fits in with your scan very, very well. So what do you have for this week's long-range scan, buddy? Well, I'm going to keep mine short and sweet this week because um, there's a whole lot that has yet to happen. But I think we're going to get a best-of-both-worlds level season-ending cliffhanger at the end of Discovery Season 2, and we will not know what happens until Season 3 starts. I think they're going to make us wait even longer than Rick Berman did between Seasons 3 and 4 of Next Gen, uh, and we're going to have to sweat this one out for a good 9-10 months till Season 3 premieres. So I'm looking for a classic Mr. Warf fire cliffhanger, Dan. You're fired. Mike? You're killing me. <laughs> Absolutely killing me. Uh, so... I slowed down Jet Reno's vision to see if there was anything more that I could glean from it. And nice. there was. And uh, Trek Corps put some of the photos up there this weekend, too. But we see the exchange between Stamets and Culber, and Culber saying he's going to the Enterprise. Well, in Reno's vision, we see that Stamets is injured in a bad way. So I think that is what is going to bring Hugh Culber back to discovery to take care of Stamets because he's a doctor and right now he's a close friend of Stamets. Things have changed for them, but 
Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz have both said that it was still the opening chapters of their relationship. And so that needs to continue forward. And that's where we're going to see it. And also, we have two signals left for one episode. I think one of those signals has to be near Alcor 4 so that it ties into Calypso. Okay. Another good long-range scan. I, I got a lot. There's a lot to wrap up next week, if it does wrap up, or unless it's with Bill's horrible long-range scan. I can't believe he did that, man. <laughs> I think um, I think that after a close call with death, to tie into what Mike just said, Stamets and Culber are going to realize that they are still meant to be together. Um, whether it's a, a close call with death that we that Mike just alluded to or whether it's something else that happens, they know, based on what we saw this week with their – conversation that they still have those feelings so i think they're going to be back together sooner rather than later of course we have seen the future through burnham and reno's flashes but what i think is going to happen is is mommy burnham is somehow going to show up to change the outcome of those futures so as i've talked about several times this season there is still one big sacrifice that's going to have to be made and i think that sacrifice is she is going to sacrifice herself to save the crew from being stranded in the future. People online have been talking about how next season is going to be in the future. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that would be horrible if it did happen, but that's what I think is going to happen. The, uh, the ability for Burnham to jump back and forth through time makes the futures that we see only a possibility. And I think she's going to do something to prevent all of those people from dying, but she in turn is going to sacrifice herself. And finally, As a result of control being destroyed, which it will happen, the sphere data will still remain with the Discovery crew and in that time, but it's going to live on forever as the building block of the library planet Memory Alpha that we saw in Lights of Zatar in the original series. That's kind of a stretch, but that's what I'm going with. That is a next-level long-range scan, man. You told me that, it blew my mind. I didn't even think of that. And I hope that's what they do. I think it would be great, but we shall see. So, uh, wow, Bill, as I said, you know, next week is it, man, for, for a while. And, and I'm, I'm excited to see the finale, but I'm not excited that it's the finale. It's, it's going to be tough to say goodbye to this show for, for several months, as you, as you alluded to. So what have we coming up next week, buddy? Well, Dan, next week, it all comes to a close or does it? As we discuss the final episode of Discovery's sophomore season, Such Sweet Sorrow, Part 2. Will there be a cliffhanger? Will Section 31 be disbanded? Will control uh, reign supreme or meet its demise? We'll find out maybe next week. Until then, remember that you can subscribe to Discovering Trek by searching for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or heading on over to discoveringtrek.com. Plus, now you can support Discovering Trek and the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. Get access to our Carpool Conversations videos and other exclusive content. See the first of our annual supporters pins from Fansets, which are just beautiful. And of course, check out our exclusive Podfleet t-shirt design along with so many other perks, Dan. And speaking of Patreon, Bill, we'd like to take a moment to recognize the following amazing producers of Discovering Trek. We are so thankful for their support. Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Lionel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, 
Harry Michelson, Norman Lau, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, the lovely and talented Scott Vashon, and some guy named Mike Bovia. We really appreciate it. <laughs> that's what my family refers to me as, too. Wow, that's amazing that Dan got that right. <laughs> now, if you would like to become a producer of Discovering Trek or even get access to the raw audio for these Discovering Trek episodes, head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks, where subscription levels start for as little as $1 a month. Well, Mike, I got to tell you, man, uh, the friendship started in last October at Northeast TrekCon. We can't thank you enough for joining us here on Discovering Trek for the first time, and I'm thinking not the last time. Uh, where can friends find you and your wonderful daughter online talking all things Trek, buddy? Well, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it is at Trek Legacy. Uh, I've been doing most of the tweeting there because – I want to try and keep the 10-year-old off of Twitter since it's such a cesspool. <laughs> Good idea. Um, but if you want to talk to me directly, uh, my personal uh, Twitter is at 1701derailed. Well, thanks for joining us. We really look forward to, uh, to listening to your podcast. You guys have been doing a great job over there. Well, folks, uh, that is it for us and our discussion on Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter to let us know what you thought about the episode and let us know what you think about Discovering Trek as well. We thank you, as always, for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to us talk about this amazing new chapter in the Star Trek universe. And we look forward to sitting down again next week to talk about episode 14 and Such Sweet Sorrow, part two. Until then, here are some words from Commander Saru of the Starship Discovery, which define the heart of a Starfleet officer. Committing to a life amongst the stars is in itself a resolution to leave some things behind. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.